I understand that uh, some people are here for the day only. Would you mind telling me how many? Put your hand up and see how many there are for the day only, please. Three, right, three. There was four, five. Okay. Well, yesterday we had uh, 16 for the day only. And four of those people, which usually happens, we get a percentage uh, sign up for the next day too. Because coming to me, you should know, for a day, is like going to the movies. Doesn't edify the consciousness much at all. Because then you've got to do something on the other day. You know, I told a lady yesterday, they told me that on the way out that she was only there for the day. I said, whatever you're doing tomorrow won't help your enlightenment at all. Whereas being with me, here, giving up your time and your attachment to your activities, which really don't matter, unless you've got to go to work, of course, that's different. Being with me, here, because I'm not going to be here forever. I'm one of the few living masters. And you're going to search and search and search to find another and be with him. Especially one as straight as I am. And you probably won't find him. Wherever you look, you'll find some master who has had an Eastern master or an Eastern background. It's very difficult to find a Western master. Western masters are totally different to Eastern masters, although that might not be apparent. A Western master doesn't use Eastern terms. Like I don't use Eastern terms, unless I have to because there's no Western Anglo-Saxon equivalent. Then I have to use. I have to use a word like karma, which means dust repetition of the past, of the consequences of experience. But karma sums it up in one word very nicely. So we all have our karma, which is the consequences since we were born of all our actions that we have to face. And then there's the karma of the human race, which all of us has to have to inherit the consequences of the whole human race. Enormous consequences. And that's what I want to talk to you today before we go into this precious place of being. Because you've been out in the world again and when you come here, even though with the best of intentions, you gather, you gather world like the cow gathers elect static electricity. The world is an electromagnetic place. We travel through it and we pick up its, its tensions and its strains, even to be alive, even to have slept last night, wherever you slept, wherever you had dinner, is to pick up the world and particularly the the insincerity and lack of seriousness of people, that all rubs off on us. And so in the spiritual life, 
You have to maintain a state of innocence so that the shit of the world, the tensions of the world, the worries of the world can't pass across this wonderful spiritual space that you have around you. Then you remain innocent in any situation. And the spiritual life is about developing this perimeter, this sort of moat of spiritual power around you, psychically, spiritually, so that you can not be contaminated by the tensions and strains and stresses and worries and misery and unhappiness of the world. Now, the karma of humanity, the consequences of humanity having existed, uh, consist of the forgetfulness of what humanity was in the beginning. Forgetfulness of the freedom, the love that was within us in the beginning has become covered over by the consequences of humanity's ignorant, unloving actions, especially religions, because they have set out to present themselves as being holy or something like the church over there that represents Christian religion. And the Christian religion, as we know, and all the rotten popes, have been responsible for murder, rape, thievery, war, disgusting torture of people, and still call themselves popes. They say they're in a line from St. Peter. But have you ever looked at the history of the popes? You will find a disgusting history of treachery, betrayal, lack of love, sheer selfishness, mercenariness, and war. So if you're in a line from St. Peter, you're certainly in, got some consequences there which you will have to face. You may not have to, but the people that follow you will have to follow. All the Christians will have to face the consequences of all those actions of the Christian religion. So will the Hindus killing each other and killing the Muslims. That's part of the consequences of being born and being stupid, having religions, following untruths, which all religions have no truth in them because they're based on traditions. And traditions from the very word means past, where somebody has laid, out, laid down a dogma of how you should perform. You will love, you will love your fellow man. Rubbish, absolute rubbish. You cannot love your enemies. It is impossible to love your enemies. And they repeat that to our children. But mummy or daddy, this boy pushed me over in the, in the school room and he does it every day and I'm frightened to go to school. We all know that story, don't we? The bully waiting for us. Is he supposed to love him? Are the Christians supposed to say, well, you should love him, son? 
And when somebody offends the Christian, he doesn't love them. He takes what action he can against them. And as I tell you, in my teaching is much more straighter than the teaching of Jesus. Much more real. Because I can say it more straightly from my master consciousness, which the man who was Jesus certainly had the master consciousness of that time. But time has moved on. And we are far from innocent enough. Far from innocent enough to love our enemies. So I say to you, you cannot love your enemies, my son or daughter. But what you can do is hold nothing against any man or woman. Do not hold on to hate or resentment. Let it go immediately. That, that is the truth. And so I ask all of you, if you are going to live this spiritual life, you will have to start there with these negative emotions by giving up your resentments towards anyone on earth, your previous lover, the father or mother of your children who betrayed you. You will have to give it up, for that is not holy. You might not be able to love them, but you must not hold anything against them. For then you draw to yourself the consequences of that resentment. And so you are going to encounter resentment in the external world in your life because you hold on to it, you bring it to you. And the same with anger. While you acknowledge your right to be angry, which is the whole world will agree with you, oh, you have every right to be angry. Righteous anger. Oh, no, 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 there's no righteous anger, whatever. That is a man-made, mind-made, selfish expression. There is no righteous anger because no anger is right. And where, does it, where do we start to reform the world? Where do we start to change the world? Out there with someone else? No, you can't change anyone. Only God through you can change anyone. <clears throat> you have to change it here. Give up all attachment to anger. You have no right to ever, ever be angry. But the human race thinks it has. And at this moment, there's probably millions of people being angry and resentful. And what does that do to us all? It puts into the psyche, which is the reality behind our physical bodies, resentment, anger, the emotions of those things. They don't just disappear into the air. They go into the psyche and form a band around us, and our psyche, the human psyche, behind our, the psyche that is our own personal one. And so whenever our personal anger arises, it has the force behind it of the human anger. Thousands and thousands of years of anger and hatred and the rest of it, forcing its way, crossing the bridge that my personal anger gives it, crossing the drawbridge because there's no moat because I've provided a bridge for the anger of the world to keep repeating itself in me. For anger is an entity. 
Just as sure as you're an entity, anger is an entity put into the psyche and it will keep repeating itself wherever I get angry. It will put that pressure on me and you are right to be angry. And I turn and say to it, I have no right to be angry. Be gone from inside of me. I will see the fact of why I am angry. And if I look at, I'm able to see the fact of things. I cannot be angry. It doesn't mean that I don't see where something is, is wrong. It means that I can see things without becoming attached to them. Without becoming attached to ignorance of others. But if I get angry or resentful, the broad drawbridge comes down over my beautiful moat of spiritual, spiritual uh, detachment and overcome the enemy flooding into me, telling me my anger and my resentment and my jealousy and my self-doubt and all the rest of it are justified. So every time you want to justify your self-doubt, which is to have self-doubt, is to justify it. You put the drawbridge down and the self-doubt of humanity is waiting there, putting the pressure on you to repeat itself again. Okay. I trust you get the message. But if you want to think that you're an island and that you can walk through here getting angry and be having negative emotions, then please don't complain when you encounter uh, the, the conf- have to be confronted by your own anger in another person or situation. Jealousy in another situation, at work or somewhere, not necessarily with a woman or a man, but jealousy of your position, the desire to cut you down, to destroy you, We've heard of the tall poppy syndrome, which is supposed to be an Australian characteristic, but I think it's a world characteristic. Anyone who's famous, people want to cut down because they're envious, because they're angry, because they'll do anything to reduce others to their own level of ignorance and take any genius, rubbish it, So we're talking about living the spiritual life, aren't we? Aren't I? Do you think you can say that you're living a spiritual life or you're on a so-called spiritual path if you still get angry, if you get resentful, if you get jealous, if you have self-doubts, if you feel that you're a failure? Do you think you're living the spiritual life? You're just in dreamland, trance land. You can go and say a few Hail Marys and feel better, like I did as a kid when they, I went to church on Sunday and I came away feeling better because I'd done what, what, what I was supposed to do. Rubbish. Rubbish, just self-satisfaction. Get it over with, hop into church and get it over with and down and play. Ah, that's better. Rubbish. A few Hail Marys, a few crosses. Look at this bullshit. 
Look at it. Look at it. Doesn't mean a single thing. If you've been on the cross where you ought to be, then you won't be doing that. You'll be saying, God help me. That's all. And you should be on the cross. You should be on the cross. Because getting rid of your anger, your resentment, your negative emotions is just like being tortured. Ah, yes. You have to go through the torture. You made yourself. Yourself is your ignorance. There's no higher self. There's only one self and it's the lowest thing in existence and it's you and it was me until I mastered myself. And what is myself? All the emotions, all the negative, all emotions and all the feelings which I justify. I have a feeling. I have a feeling for this. I have a feeling for that. My God, if you go out and talk to people, you'll hear feelings, feelings, feelings all the time. And feelings mean emotions. Feelings means negativity. I don't have any feelings. Terrible thing to say. And you stand up in front of a pop concert and say, I don't have any feelings. And they'd say, you're dead. You're a monster. No, I'm not. I'm a God-realized man. And I don't have any feelings because I'm not misled by my emotional feelings, which vary. Would you have a look at your feelings, please? How you felt about the last love affair that you had, how beautiful it was and how it turned into a feeling of not so good or familiarity or how you wanted to get away from what you once wanted, once you once felt you wanted. All these feelings mislead us. Mm. But first, to get rid of your feelings. It's only a man walking past. For God's sake, don't be distracted from what I'm saying. What I'm saying is coming straight from the place that you came here to hear. From the place of truth. So, now that we've had a little bit of confrontation with so that we've had to look at our ignorance and our attachment to our emotions and feelings. All you've got to do is look at them to start with, to know that you've got them and that they're not. They're not good. Good's another word for God. They're not God. They're not good. Oh, they're good for yourself, which gets great satisfaction out of the feeling of uh, out of the lovely, beautiful feeling of thinking about your lover, about thinking about the beautiful days that you've had, that's very satisfying, but the trouble is it's all thinking and it's all imagination. And that is the drawbridge so that when it comes for the time for you to be hit by tragedy, which everybody gets hit with sooner or later, you got the bridge of thinking down and then thinking turns to that excruciating thing called worry. Because worry is only intensified thinking, surely. Surely. Is that true? Worry is intensified thinking under the pressure of an emotion. Hmm, of a feeling. So you put the drawbridge of thinking down 
Because if you think, if you get my Songs of Life tape and you keep playing it, you don't put it in your library, please. You want to play my Songs of Life tape because they're the story of my spiritual early days when I discovered the truth of these things that I'm talking to you about now. The place of the sinking heart. And you've had a sinking heart in your time, haven't you? Is the place of the thinking heart. For if you think, then you must drink at the place of the sinking heart. Your thought is but spawn of the past, yesterday. Caught on memory's treacherous cast. And if you think, then you must drink at the place of the sinking heart. So what happens when I don't think? I'm free. I'm free of all the yesterdays and all the consequences. But I can't stop this thinking monster until I give up my negative emotions which make me think, until I confront them, see them, and then deal with them in my life. Okay, so having, having looked at those things, let's now go into this place of being. Now the place of being is your first reality inside, and it is a place of nothing. So if you're looking for something in the spiritual life, all you'll get is your own ignorance and feelings and hopes and wishes. But in the place of being where we're going, there's nothing to speak of. Absolutely nothing because it is the opposite of everything and the opposite of everything is nothing. And so I have to be prepared to be able to be as nothing. Now test this out please. There are only two real things in existence. The trees are not real because they die, because they can be destroyed, because they can be changed. People are not real. The peep man and woman next to you is not real because they die, they change. And anything that dies or changes is not real. Okay? First thing. Otherwise, you wouldn't die if you were real. Okay? The only two real things in existence is my intelligence, my being your intelligence. I'm going to use it here because that's the best way to speak to you. But if ever I say my or I, I mean I or my there in your body, which is in your experience. The only thing that's real in this existence is my pure intelligence. Oh, not my clever intelligence, which writes advertisements, makes movies, does all sorts of things. Not that shifting thing, which also thinks and worries. Not that thing. That's a, that's a corrupted intelligence, which comes and goes. Sort of thing that gives you writer's block. 
You get writer's block when you don't know what you're writing about. That's all you get. When you know what you're writing about, you don't get writer's block. You don't get nervous and you don't run out of words, real words. So the only thing, though, is pure intelligence. Now, pure intelligence is not that corrupted intelligence that writes advertisements or newspapers or thinks or worries. Pure intelligence is behind that. And that is real. And I shall always have my pure intelligence in that body. Always. Because it is real. And immortality consists of even when my mortal body is destroyed, as it must be, my real intelligence, not my phony intelligence that writes the ads, my real intelligence, then is my consciousness and it is forever. But it is absolutely still. The difference between worldly intelligence is it's always moving, thinking, reading something, thinking something, making something up. Whereas my real intelligence is absolutely still, straight. It can look at anything and not move, not interpret anything, not draw any conclusions. It just looks. What a beautiful thing that is. Right, that's a reality in your body. The other reality in your body, and you have to look at this in your experience, don't, take, don't believe anything I'm saying, you must look at it in your experience. Otherwise we're wasting our time. It's got to be your truth from your experience. The other reality, the other only reality in the whole of existence, the cricket players, everything, is the pure sensation in your body. This, out of this pure sensation comes your body, arises your body. So that's how pure this sensation is and how fundamental and essential it is. And we're going to, I'm going to describe it to you. All the other sensations that you get are like the sensations that the sports writers write about, write about. And the newspapers and the television, a sensational win, which stirs the emotions, you see, they call that sensation. Anything that stirs the emotion is sensational to them. And so we, we feel that our feelings are sensational, you know, they're a, a, sens- they're a sensation, they're moving. Sensation's always moving. But pure sensation never moves in the sense of never changes. And that's inside your body. So what we do in entering, starting to enter this state of being is we have to give up our thinking intelligence and use our pure intelligence to look at what is real inside my body, and that is the, 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 the full accumulation of all the sensation in my body forms one nucleus. And that's why it's very difficult for anyone coming to me from one day 
I explained all this yesterday, but if you're only with me for today, am I not going to explain it? And therefore you won't understand what I'm talking about? And the people who came here yesterday won't be able to live it because they didn't stay? But I'll go through it quickly, how you get to this pure sensation. First of all, there is undeniable sensation in your fingers and your hands. Now, everybody do it. You can't do this too often. But to sense that, to perceive that, you have to use your pure intelligence, which has to look, really look, and see the sensation in your body. So we're talking about the sensation in the hands. And then the same sensation is in the feet. Do it. This is using your pure intelligence. Because if you want to think about it, you're finished. You can't hold the sensation. You can't see it. So then you come up the legs and in the calves and in the knees and in the ankles. Sensation, the same sensation. And in the thighs and around in your private parts and around your your pelvis, the same sensation. And this is always there, never changes. Isn't it wonderful? Something that never, ever changes in this existence is this sensation in your body. Even when you're dying, you will have this sensation. Amazing, isn't it? Whereas any thought that you've ever had, any passion you've ever had, that will all disappear. But this will not. And then you come up to your, your belly. That's always got sensation in it. Then your chest. Now your belly's where you feel your emotions. That's where all your emotions start, in your belly. All your feelings start from your belly. Isn't that amazing? Because that's the seat of yourself, your ignorant, unloving self. Sits in your stomach, as it does in mine. It's supposed to be there, that's its home, deep down in the subconscious. That's the, that's the subconscious within, is your belly. And in there is the evil one, the ignorant one, who has run your life long enough and made all most of your decisions from feelings and misled you about love and life and truth and God and death. Now that self always is endeavouring to get to the brain because it's in the dark down there, you see. This ignorant self is in the dark. It's a subconscious entity in all of us been made by the human race of ignorance. So the human race of ignorance has created ignorance and it has entered our own body. Boom! Into our belly it goes, which is part of the psyche within, and there it sits, curled up there, all nestled up there in the warmth and dark, hidden away from any, any clever mind to find. Not even the doctors can cut it open and say, ah, here it is. Oh, no, it's in the psyche because the psyche is within our body, you see. The doctors only deal 
with the body they can cut up. And the psychologists only deal with other people's minds, seldom with their own, with their own feelings. So at any rate, this living monster, the product of human ignorance, the consequences of all the worry, lack of love, all the warfare of the popes, the misleading lies of the religions and half-truths, all lie down there. Now, as they say, it's in the dark. Are you hearing me? What is psychically in the dark is always trying to get into existence, into the senses. Everything wants to live again. For this is past ignorance in my tummy. I made it. The human race made it, but I made it with all my negative emotions. I made it. That's why it's called myself. I made myself and myself is utterly ignorant and unloving. Of course, having lived once, this energy, this entity wants to live again. Wants to come out of the dark into the light of the senses where it can see and taste and smell and walk and and have the sense of light of sunlight, which is a consciousness. Ah, yes, it wants that. So it lies quietly down there, easing its way up to the brain through tension. Very subtly, this. So it eases its way up across the solar plexus leaving some sort of little strain of tension or couldn't call it pain, but something in the solar plexus, making a ladder for itself, coming up to the chest. And ah, the chest is the largest part of the body. Oh, yeah, all this area containing the heart and all the, or the torso, all the the vital organs and things is such an important place to get hold of. So the tension creeps out over to the heart, through all the organs there, although they're not organs really, it's in the psyche. And you get a tense chest. Sometimes you get a band across it. Some of you will recognize this, a band across the test chest that's all tight and you can't seem to get rid of. Now, this is yourself taken over your body. Or you get a pain in the chest and you walk around uh, trying to breathe it away naturally. You can't help sighing because you've got a pain in the chest caused by your own pain, your own self. How often have you sighed? Oh dear, oh dear. How long, how long? That's yourself. Putting the pressure on, creeping up, more tension, more strain. And then it goes, having captured your chest. It then comes up to the narrowest part of the body, the throat often causing sore throats through the 
terrible, intense intention, often in times of crisis, making me unable to speak because I'm choked by my own self. And it goes into my shoulders, which are always somewhat tight, accumulators for the self. Accumulators. All up here, if I touched anyone's shoulders, they would feel a great relaxation because everybody has this accumulation up here. And then it creeps up the back of the neck. Oh, you know, oh, oh, you know the sort of pain, the tightness in the back of the neck. eh? You rub it sometimes and try to get rid of it. And then it comes up and into the brain. And before long, you're thinking. It's not being thinking. It's not your... It's not me thinking because I define me as that very pure and holy place inside your body, the most intimate place inside of you, which is beautiful. That's me. That's the difference between me and myself. Myself, in my teaching, which is the truest teaching on earth, is not me. What a wonderful discovery, because everybody calls themselves themselves, which is their unhappiness. So at any rate, now myself has built a little bridge over the years since I was born through the miseducation of my parents, through believing the society and the media and the newspapers and the videos, through really believing in them and through believing in religions and all beliefs and things in traditions and uh, has built a nice little ladder of tension and unease right through my body, right up to my brain, so that at any time it's able, under any pressure at all, any psychological, emotional pressure, it's able to go straight up to the brain, and I start to worry and think it's the end of the world. Is this not so? How am I going to go on? My child is dead, or my love has left me, or what? How am I going to go on? For God's sake, everybody goes on. Don't make a meal of it, please. See the truth in it. Everybody leaves everybody sooner or later because everybody dies. So, what's the big shock? It's myself enjoying a situation which I say is terrible. Whereas myself says, this is great, I'm getting a nice lot of experience here. Oh, I look at all this negativity, all this mourning, all these lovely graveside stories by black-dressed men and priests all smiling and looking so holy and going home and playing with little boys or not loving their wife or whatever it is. All these bullshit artists by the graveside making everybody unhappy and talking about ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Bullshit! Ashes to everybody dies, everybody turns to dust. What's the big deal? Surely we've heard it enough and seen it enough. Everybody dies. Even the tree will turn into mulch. Like my body and your body will. So what's the big deal? 
the big deal is there is no hope in this existence. No hope. Everyone playing cricket out there now, this very moment, has no hope. They're all going to die. And they've left me behind. They've covered me over with all their desires and wantings and experience. And me is stifled down inside them. Me, the beautiful part of them, the being in them, is stifled, can't express itself because it's covered over by self. Selfishness. Self means self, right? And out of self comes such words as selfishness. Do we ever say higher selfishness? Do we ever say higher selfishness, eh? Selfishness is selfishness and there's no higher selfishness. There's just higher selfishness. No higher self. Me, my being, that is the height that begins the journey out of existence into something that is everlasting and wonderful and never-ending. So yourself is a stinker. It has misled you all your life with feelings and caused every bit of unhappiness that you've ever had and will have will be due to yourself. Because you make decisions off your feelings instead of giving up making decisions. Any rate. So fortunately, this tension as much as possible is down in the stomach and what we should learn to do is to go around our body and release it as much as possible by seeing the pure sen the sensation in the throat let's do it we're not looking for the pain in the throat for god's sake stop looking for any tension in the throat look at the sensation in the throat because the sensation in the throat is real and the pain is engendered by myself so stop looking at the wrong thing. Stop looking at the good. Stop looking and start looking at the good, which is the sensation in the throat. Make the distinction. You've got to be very intelligent to make the distinction between any pain or or discomfort or tension in the throat. We don't we're not looking at that. You must get into the the knowledge of looking at the good and sensation in the throat is natural. And that is good. And good is another word for God. Now, can you do it? That's the question. Or is your mind so active from watching the videos and being attached to what the newspapers say and what the politicians say that you can't make the distinction because you always go towards the bad, like all the newspapers, always bad news, nothing good in them. So we've become like the media, always seeing the bad in us. Now, the sensation in the throat, please. There it is, drumming away there, beautifully, innocently, sweetly. Ah, yeah. Now, if I can only do that, the tension can't hold on where my intelligence is. My intelligence, which is your intelligence, is so strong, so powerful, that the tension gives up and falls down where it came from, towards the stomach. And so it is in the chest. 
Now, can you get the pure sensation in the chest? And for God's sake, I'm not talking about heartbeat. I'm very sorry to mention heartbeat because as soon as you mention something, of course, the mind gets hold of it. For God's sake, don't. I'm talking about pure sensation. And I'm not talking about breathing. For these are superficial things. I'm talking about the pure sensation in the chest. And I'm not talking about the pain in the chest, the tightness in the chest. Forget it. We don't want that. That doesn't matter. That's in its own right, but it's phony, so it's all right. Get to the pure sensation. You have to be very intelligent to do this. You can't be watching Mr. Long. You can't be watching the cricketers and do this. You must not give up. You must be with me. I am terribly serious. I am serious in love and truth. I give you the key. I give you the key. Are you intelligent enough to sense the pure sensation in your chest? Not the pains or the tensions. Of course you are. Of course you are. Simple, once you start to practice this. But what do we practice? We practice thinking and worry. We practice negative emotions and being sorry for ourselves. So how can you be still enough to be intelligent? Now you get the idea. You've got to go around your body. Now a good place to see where there's pure sensation is in the back, in the small of the back. It's very fine, but there's pure sensation there. And because it's on the back, there's no emotional content to it, basically. All the emotional content occurs in the front. So the back. Now we don't want to feel the pain in the back, thank you. Everybody's got some sort of pain in their bloody back, it seems to me. You know, your back's out, you know, your back's out. So they give you a stretch. And as soon as you allow a chiropractor or anyone to give you a stretch and put your back in, I'll tell you what, every month you'll be back there. Every month. Why don't you do what I'm saying? Why don't you heal yourself fundamentally? And perhaps your back will go. Why don't you learn to love? And perhaps your back will no longer be out whatever that means. Whoever heard of a tree that was a perfect tree? Anybody ever seen a perfect tree? Well, every tree is a perfect tree, but everybody's seen the ideal tree? And nobody's got an ideal bloody back either, unless they make a plastic cast of it according to their idea of how it should be. All bullshit. But we're so attached to letting other people take over our lives in areas 
that are, are not established in fact at all. Anyone who touches you can do you good. Sometimes, because we are all healers in our way. But stop believing in what people say. Hear me, because I'm not asking you to believe anything. I'm asking you to perceive or sense with your pure intelligence the sensation in your body. The pure sensation, which is the last thing that will be with you when you're dying. The last thing will be your pure sensation. If you're only intelligent enough to stay with it, but if you stay with your fears and doubts and feelings, well, you, you'll just pass into another place in the psyche, but you won't be real. So, this entry into being has to be done with my pure intelligence and my pure sensation. So the idea now is having know, knowing through, experience, through my own experience that I have sensation all over my body in every single part of it to be alive, then it is possible, I tell you, if I live the life rightly and get rid of negativity and stop thinking as much as I am and being concerned with ups and downs of events, to gather the whole of my sensation of my whole body into one sensation. One. I have no arms, no legs, I've just got the one sensation. Now, I'm not saying this is easy because we're overcoming the mind and the brain's endeavor to split things up and analyze things, and that's not what we've got to do. We have to be able to look straight. And I have one sensation in my body out of which my body appears. And we don't want any arms or legs now as sensations. We want everything drawn back into this one sensation, this one pure sensation, which is the very essence of my body out of which the appearance of my body comes. There it is. Now you can only do this with pure intelligence looking at it. And the idea is to keep the pure unwavering, unwavering, unwavering intelligence on this pure sensation. There it is. Now, the more and the longer you can do this, the pure sensation disappears, vanishes. Gradually or slowly or suddenly, it disappears. And I am then in the state of being in which I cannot know I'm in the state of being because you can't know anything in the state of being. There's no knowledge. There's no knowing in there. But there is consciousness. For the state of being is consciousness, where pure intelligence turns to consciousness. 
There's now no pure sensation, which is out here, in the body. There's now no pure sensation, and there's now no pure intelligence. It has all become one as the state of being, which is the state of consciousness within me. And the mind and emotions will try to to make a leg or an arm or a head or some other part of me and show me that sensation and I have to be strong enough eventually to just hold this one pure sensation out of which everything comes and have no arms and legs as sensation. This is a miracle, of course, but... uh, It's a natural miracle, which is available to us all. Now, you can't know when you're in being, when you're being. So how do you know when you're being? You can't know. But because it's consciousness, there's a knowledge that cannot be described because it would turn into knowing. It only comes from being. So this is the first entry into life beyond death, beyond the body. Is the pure state of being, the first pure state of being. So this progress in the spiritual life is always back towards the beginning out of which I came of which I entered these bodies, what? In terms of life years, in terms of scientific years, how long ago did the human body start to appear? Thousands and thousands and thousands of years. When I, pure intelligence, started to enter or manifest these bodies, I manifested them. From the state of being, because the state of being is there, that gives rise to the state of the state of pure sensation and the pure intelligence, and that gives rise to the body and the and the uh, corrupted intelligence, which is clever and sees all the things through the senses. So how do I go home again? How do I get back to my beginning again? Well, I start out here, which is the end of all everything out here with the physical body. I have to leave the physical body behind, as it were, because it's all right sitting there. It's okay. I have to then get hold of the sensations of the body to know I've really got a body, because those people out there don't know they've got a body, unless they get a pain, a knock. The cricket ball hits them. Ah, i got a pain. Yeah, they know they've got a body, but it doesn't last long doesn't last long. They're walking around in a dream, robotic dream. Everybody is. Have a drink. Somehow or other it puts you in connection with 
takes away some of the stream, uh, alcoholic drink, takes away some of the stresses and strains in the body and you feel good. <laughs> no, but it doesn't last. So you have another one and you have another one and it gets worse. It doesn't get any better because experience can't get any better. You can get so much of it. And then down it goes, down to the downside. Oh, God. So first, you've got to know you've got a body by having the sensations of it. Really know it. And then you've got to get it all together because the body's not real, it dies. I want something that's real inside the body. Well, we got it. Pure sensation and pure intelligence. And then I've got to dissolve. Well, I don't have to dissolve my pure intelligence. Well, dissolve this nucleus of sensation out of which the body appears. And when I do that, boom, back to the next stage, which is beyond the body and beyond pure sensation, which is the beginning of being. Aha, the beginning of the invisible world. And what's, what is its characteristic? Well, its first characteristic, obviously, obviously, logically, is it's the opposite to everything. Because we left everything behind, and if you leave everything behind, what's there? Nothing. So the first state of being is to be as nothing. And that's the beginning of God. Now this psyche in which this happens goes on and on, deeper and deeper inside your body, right down to what we'll call eternity. So there's no limit to where I, this consciousness, to what I have access to. But the hardest part is to be still while I am in existence. That's the most difficult. And still enough to identify the pure sensation in my body from the pains and aches and hopes and wishes and discontent that permeates it. So you see, it's a matter of intelligence is the spiritual life. Not a matter of following anybody, not a matter of following traditions, not a matter of following Barry Long, it's a matter of being intelligent enough First of all, to know yourself, which is a pain. And then to separate from yourself and have the intelligence to distinguish something that is real, your pure sensation. And to see not the bad. We are programmed to see the bad wherever we look. We are programmed because we have so much pain in us and tension in us that it makes us soon. As soon as we see anything beautiful, we start to think about it and therefore we lose it.
whether it be a sunset or a pretty flower, we soon leave it and get on with seeing the bad in our lives or something. Instead of seeing the good in your life and being grateful for the good. There is nothing like gratitude. Nothing. Except the love of it, God. And gratitude is always to it, where you came from, where I came into these bodies to come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. But you must leave behind your attachment to all your worldly activities. Now, I didn't say you must leave behind all your worldly activities, did I? For God's sake, don't quote me, misquote me. I said you must leave behind your identification, your attachment to all your worldly activities. You must just do what you do without being attached to what you do. Now about that, there's a great distinction. Okay, you may close your eyes. Please. And it is easy now to sink into the state of being immediately. No thought. Without losing this place of consciousness, please, within, because consciousness is only within, come into the world of awareness with your secondary intelligence, as it were. Your primary intelligence is the consciousness within. Your secondary intelligence is the world of your intelligence that is the awareness of your existence or the senses. Now eventually, you won't have to do anything like these exercises. You'll be so intelligent that you'll be in the state of being all the time. You'll be in consciousness all the time in your body. You won't have to do anything except do what you do. But while you're not free, while you're still identified with the ignorance of the human race, it is a good thing, even if you're only partially identified with it. It is a good thing to practice the only two realities in existence at which lead into being. Because we are talking about being free before you die. Discovering the original state 
of I, the intelligence in these bodies. Before the bodies manifested as a human race. It's called coming home. Ah, how we long to come home. How we long to be what we are. Because we're not what we are. That's where the longing comes from. Because we're not what we are. And that's what we're doing. And that's what I'm here for. To help you home. As much as I am able. This is my life. That's why I have the power to do it. To help you. Because I live this. Every day. This is my life. And unless you live your life. What is your life? You don't have the power to help people if you're only a part-time consciousness or helper. And the only thing you can ever really become is what you are. And it is possible to do this in the daily life. Because in my highest transcendental realization, that I am the supreme being, that there is none other and can be none other but me. I was working in Fleet Street. I used to go to work in Fleet Street. It's a pretty busy street, you know. They don't sell 400,000 newspapers there. They sell millions So I was pretty busy, but I wasn't attached to it. So I was able to perform there because I wasn't attached to it. I did my job, apparently, because when I resigned, because of my transcendental realization, I just resigned. And the editor said, well, Look, where everybody's getting a raise. And uh, I can't give you a raise if you've resigned. So would you put your resignation in next month when it all comes through and you get your raise? Because we don't want to lose you. Not because I was any good at the job necessarily, but because the God was working in the editor and looking after me. That's right. So I got the raise and the bonus that went with it. That's how it works. But I was right in the busyness of it. Right in the heart of it, you know. So much in the heart of it, I was in the, in the composing room. I was a sub-editor 
and between the composing room where they compose all the metal in those days and uh, uh, and stuff they put it the, the copy comes down and they put it into metal and put it into pages which go down onto the machines or they make an impression of it and put it on the machines they've got to have a sub editor down there to make last minute changes to talk to the chief sub editor in case he wants to change anything or if he sees any the sub editor down there sees anything wrong in the in, in a, a misprint that's got past everybody he's got a he's got a liaise between the two and there's terrible noise going on down there as all the line and type machines are going and the compositors are banging with wooden hammers that's led into the thing, the thing. And there's all sorts of noise and shouting going on and I'm in the midst of it. But I wasn't attached to it. So I was all right, you see. But if I'd been attached to it and worried by it, I would have been part of the noise and the turmoil. But I wasn't. That's what I'm saying to you. I've been in the midst of it. So you're in the midst of it, let's say. You can do it, but you must not be identified with it. You must do what you've got to do, do what you do, but not be identified with it. Right. And you can see where it led me. And incidentally, while I was down in that, that turmoil in the composing room, I wrote several epic poems about the spiritual life. In the midst of it, and that poetry we've decided is going to be published as soon as I can get around to going through it. So, when you hear about it, you'll know where it was composed. In the composing room. <laughs> yeah. So don't be afraid if you're in the midst of it, because you can see how my devotion to the truth, my devotion to God, my devotion to me inside my body, my gratitude for what I had brought me out of that eventually. Took me away from it. I didn't have to do it. It took me away from it. And that will happen to you. It will change your life if you change yourself. Now, does anybody want to ask me a question? Anything to do with being or intelligence? Anything that I've said, not my own history. I, I only say those things to help you so that you see that I've been through it, what you're going through in the Western world. Because Eastern masters don't have to pay the rates, do they? They don't have to work in a composing room. They don't have to do those things because that's a different culture over there. They're all looked after by their devotees.
we in the West, we got to knuckle down. We got to have the boss on top of us. Of course, the West is going East, but, uh, but uh, we're the ones that have got to screw up the nuts and bolts on the spaceships and make the motor cars and the East. They can walk around naked over there in India, you know. They walk around naked and nobody takes any notice. Imagine working around naked here. They'd put you in the slammer very fast, wouldn't they? <laughs> Different culture. But we like to draw upon all the Indian culture and think you can live it in the West. You cannot live it in the West. Nobody really believes me when I say you can't bring Eastern teachings into the West. You only think you can. Dilettantes means playing with it like millionaires, helping people, you know, playing with it, helping the arts, helping this, helping that. Well, they've still got their millions. Dilettantes. There's only one way in the West. You must get rid of this terrible, terrible thing that has caused all the wars and ruined the East. You must get rid of this terrible self of negativity, of unhappiness, which is self-made. It is not made by me, the Lord. It is made by yourself, not me. I only make the good, which is another word for God. Always remember that. If you see the good, you're seeing the God. For God is only good. Nothing else. There's no opposite to God, you see. The opposite to God that the Christians have made is the devil. Now, whoever heard of a God who also invents a devil. <laughs> I mean, if there's only one God, then that's good. There's no devil. The only devil is myself. My emotions, my feelings, my ignorance of life and love and God or goodness. So anybody want to ask me a question now? We go on a little further. Yes, uh, yes, Philip. It's Philip, isn't it? Yes. <clears throat> Could you say something, Barry, about the distinction about uh, distinction between? Am I coming through it? Yes, yes. Good. Um, doing something by being moved, and doing something that from a feeling. Because sometimes feelings can be very subtle. And, mm, um, that is so. And sometimes it's difficult to know whether, which it is. Well, I wouldn't bother about which it is. I would just do as I do. Because if you have a feeling to be a millionaire, then you better live it. Go and be a millionaire, but don't have a feeling about it. Go and do it. And that'll get rid of the feeling. You see, you've got to do 
You've got to do every desire that rises in you, you should do. If you want to be loved, then go and love. Oh, yeah, you can't be loved unless you love, you see. If you want to be loved, go and love. Oh, but I can't do that. There's, well, there's so many women, if you're a man, who are crying for love, and there's so many men who are crying for love, and yet we can't seem to come together because we have not taken the first step ourselves in loving. So if you want to do anything, you want to write a book, well, sit down and write. But you've got to know what you're going to write about. You've got to have something intelligent to say. Oh, I mean, if it's a novel, write. Sit down. If you're moved to do it, do it. But what do we do? What does this self do? It thinks about what I want to do or what I'm moved to do. Why do you think about it? Go and do it, Philip. If you've got a feeling to do something, go and do it. But you'll have to pay the consequences if it's a feeling that breaks the law. Now be prepared to pay the consequences, that's all. You've got to be responsible because the consequences are going to catch up with you. If not immediately by the law, then it'll catch up with you by the psychic law. But at any rate, why don't you do what you feel? Why worry about whether it's a feeling or, or movement? Oh, you'll soon change your mind if your feelings lead you into misery. You say, my God, I'm not going to have any feelings again. I won't. And you will know the difference between a feeling. It's an emotion. But I wouldn't worry about it. I would tell everyone, go and do what you want to do. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I want to think about it. Ah, oh, well, if you think about it, you ruin it. You go and do it. You see, the self wants to think about everything. He wants to think about leaving the job. He wants to think about what you're going to do after you leave the job. He wants to think about everything and not do it. The self wants to think about leaving a relationship. Weighs this up, left and right, up and down, up and down, and on and on it goes, thinking about it. Well, either leave the relationship or stop thinking about it, one or the other. If you want to leave the relationship, then don't play around. Walk out now, today. If you don't want it to do, don't think about it. Wait on life. And life will solve it for you if you don't think about it. Now, we've, the humanity has got this great network. Oh, yeah, network, right? Another word for it that is manifested is the Internet. But let's... The humanity has got this great network of thought. It's cocooning us. You can't stop it. You want to think about everything. Well, that's what the internet is, you see. It's a manifestation of the corruption of thought. Absolutely. There's no truth in the intellect, whatever. Because it's a busyness. It's a curiosity. There's no truth in it. The only truth is you come to my meetings, you hear about the pure sensation, the pure intelligence, and you practice it. And you give up your negativity as much as you are able because it is the truth for you. That's the only truth. You're not going to get that on the internet. Oh, you're going to read it and say, oh, this is nice, I agree with that. Oh, yes, yes, this is something I really agree with. And then 
push another button and onto something else about who was the first person to fly to England or something. You know, who cares? You got to do it. So this whole pattern of thought, this network of thought is manifested now in the internet, which you'll know has grown in our generation, has actually manifested beyond its intentions for waging war. We are cocooned in the network of thought. We think about everything. We don't, we do very little that's spontaneous because we're not worthy of being spontaneous. We're not worthy of being spontaneous. We haven't learnt to, to rest in God, in, in, in life. We haven't learnt to trust in life. Okay, so you can see the difficulty of it all. Our mothers and fathers and forefathers have all imprisoned us with their ignorance and lack of love, particularly their lack of love. They're putting up with companionship, comfort and convenience instead of love, and so we have to battle so hard to bring vigor, the vigor and vitality of love into our relationships because the self is so used to compromising our companionship. That's where we want a bit of uh, uh, compatibility, and uh, leaning on each other as we get older and older, on the old age pension. Oh, aren't we lucky we've been married 78 years? Oh, yes, that's a bit of mention. For the, queen. the Queen will send you, a, send you a telegram and all this bullshit. But where's love? Who's going to make a sacrifice to break this terrible network of thought? Well, you can't change the world. It is intent on thinking and it's intent on all the consequences of thinking and ignorance. But uh, you've got to change it here in your body. You've got to change it. And you've got to change the sexual thing, which, of course, is the power behind our whole, our whole motivation of our generation is sex. Well, we lust. Jesus said he never defined lust. He condemned, condemned lust, but he never told us the difference between lust and, and pure sex, did he? No, it was a lovely little one to keep trotting out all the time. You shouldn't lust. But how do the children know, well, well how do I know the difference between my natural desire to love woman and lust? But Jesus fell down in so many places because, or his interpreters or his reporters because he couldn't say it as straight as I can say it for I am master of the West and he is an Eastern master who deals in magic. Eastern masters deal in magic and imagination. Amazing, isn't it? The Indian rope trip trick was not invented by the West. It's an Eastern thing. Any rate, so what's the difference between pure sexual love and the movement to love a woman or a man? 
and lust. Thinking about it. Thinking is lust. Simple. So if I think about a woman, I'm lusting after her. Thinking about her private part, thinking about her, I'm lusting or a man. But if I don't think, and if I am moved to love a woman, then I can go up and speak to her. I can go up and make my suit, as it were. I don't have to think about it. But if I think about it in the quietness, in my subconscious, down there in myself, and I brood about it, and I stew it, and I lust after her, and I'm masturbating, and that relieves me, and I don't want it anymore after I masturbate, it's all right. Soon it comes again, and I lust after her again, or him. That's what lust is, is thought. Otherwise, it's pure Natural love of woman or love of man. Does that all sound all right or is that too innocent? Is that too innocent? And when I'm loving her, am I going to lust after her by thinking about some phantom woman or thinking the, uh, where I am to hold my erection or something? Thinking, 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 again, lusting, lusting, even in the midst of the pure sensation of loving her or him. You get the idea of what lust is? Now you can see with the movies and the blue, uh, the pornographic videos and things do, they make us lust, don't they? Mm. That's our society. Sex shops make us lust. Okay, so it's time for lunch. <laughs> A swift change of subject. <laughs> you're getting the message though if you think then you must drink at the place of the sinking heart so you want to sink in your heart then you think and you want to lust instead of love naturally then you think okay well what's the arrangement please Back at one thirty. Okay, so see you at one thirty. So it's only an hour and a half today. Thank you. Oh, oh yes, and please, may I remind you to change your seats? Do not sit in the same seat twice, and also the people to give the people at the back a chance to come to the front, and vice versa, uh, and from side to side, because otherwise you're listening from the same perspective, and you form a, a tense what I call a tense psychic egg around you, and you can't hear as fresh and new from the same seat. So please move your seats. Thank you. <laughs>